I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers of the Twitters. And happy Monday as you listen to this. Happy Friday as we record this. And uh, it's also happy April. Uh, It's first week of April, which seems to have come alarmingly fast this year. I do not know how that happened. I do not care for it. And I'd like this sort of pattern to stop. But, you know, these things happen. Whatever gets us into a portion of the year where the Cubs aren't one and five, I'm four. Is that what they're at right now? We've had a rough start. It's so going to be your year. It's going to be our year. <laughs> Anyways, um, but baseball aside, there's uh, April is also um, an interesting month for us for the very specific reason of a little show that may have come up from time to time called Game of Thrones. And this is Ben's idea to talk about this topic. I want to make this very clear from the beginning. Um, because Ben, what was your initial pitch for this uh, podcast uh, episode today? Game of Thrones has ruined television. <laughs> well, specific specifically though. What? Beyond television, you had a specific thing that it was ruining about television. Television in April. And just overall, <laughs> I think just I think the the statement on a, on a broad perspective counts. Do do your HBO friends ever give you shit for how much you dislike Game of Thrones? Absolutely. Okay. Good. Yeah. Some of them kind of have to remind themselves that it's true. Like, I feel like they forget, and then they'll ask they me, think it's like, like wait, a bit. do you like Game of Thrones? I'm like, oh, it's fine. God, you're such a liar. It is fine. There's a lot of things that are that are very good about it. The direction is usually superb. Some of the acting is pretty good. The visual effects and the dragons are great. This is the, I, I did not expect this podcast to include me dragging out of you the things you like about Game of Thrones, but there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. I I mean I am I'm I'm kind of I'm certainly I don't know if I like it more than Han. I don't know if I'm the biggest I don't know if I'm the biggest Game of Thrones fan on staff, but I certainly like it a great deal. Um, I enjoy it thoroughly. I may try to do a rewatch if I'm not completely consumed by this uh, Veep rewatch over the weekend. It's. I think that's what's most important right now, that we just continue to remind people that for all the coverage and, and news stories and, and interviews and, and ads and, and general conversation around whatever water coolers exist for you, virtual or otherwise, the only, the only season of television that matters right now is, is Veep's final season of television. So, you know... Don't forget about Veep. I mean, we—how could we? It's going to be on right after Game of Thrones. God, it's just, <laughs> and it's not on right after Game of Thrones. Barry is on after Game of Thrones. Barry's a very good show too. Right, but it's not ending, so like it's not. There's not a lot of pressure to watch that one. Sure, fair enough. Anyways, the point is, is that uh, we've been. What, what's the point is that Game of Thrones ruined television. Well, very specifically, you're you're mad about April because yeah. So the the original pitch, as Liz has alluded to, and I've uh, failed to argue in a wider extent, uh, was that I'd noticed doing um, like a, a recent kind of just outline for April of like, hey, what's coming out? What do we need to cover? That there weren't that many exciting releases. There was there wasn't a whole lot in comparison to both past months and in my mind past years. And I think um, I've made since since you brought this up. I think I've made two or three separate jokes about like how dare you say that about blank. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like there there are definitely shows coming out in April 
um, that I'm that I'm curious about and that I think have you know great potential. But either the network isn't treating that seriously, or there's just a significant lack of buzz around it, or it's just something where it feels like, well, maybe we'll just kind of dump it now and see what happens. Like it's not, there doesn't seem to be as many kind of big ticket releases. So I went back to look at at last year's April programming schedule, and which was a which was free of Game of Thrones, which was free of Game of Thrones, uh, to see if if there was a true kind of scaredy cat Game of Thrones. Ian uh, impression and effect. And I don't really think there is. I think what instead we're seeing is a further consolidation of timing for the Emmys Mm -hmm. in that, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, we've always known from the Netflix perspective that they try to jam as much of their best stuff into May as they can because that's the last month of eligibility. So they have like just every weekend booked with you know, one of their original series that they can drop all at once before uh, the May 31st deadline for Emmy eligibility. But I feel like I feel like everybody now is starting to tighten into that window. And I think one of the better examples is the fact that, yes, there's been a lot of news stories already about uh, shows like The Handmaid's Tale, The Crown, Stranger Things, all, you know, just kind of waiting out this year's Emmy cycle. They're not going to release their new seasons in time to compete with Game of Thrones. They're going to release them later this year and then compete in the following year when Game of Thrones is gone. Um, but also, if you if you look at kind of the strategy in which Hulu is, is taking some of its more prominent series this year, Hulu used to release a lot of their shows weekly. Right. And uh, I think Handmaid's Tale, they released that weekly yeah. all the way through, except that they released like two or three at once at the start or something. It was the first... Uh... I believe that for the first season, they released the first three episodes uh, together, and then it was followed by weekly installments. And then for the second season, I believe it was the first two, followed by weekly installments. And that was, I think, largely because just of what they had available. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, it, it is, the, and I believe their plan is, I think it's going to be the, for, for season three, which doesn't premiere until June, it will once again be the first two episodes uh, at the same time and then follow weekly. Right. They, they haven't, they haven't, they've definitely experimented more with kind of all at once release strategies, but they haven't abandoned the weekly release strategy no. either by any means. Even the act, which is their Patricia Arquette uh, limited series, even that is coming out weekly and, and uh, you know, they feel pretty good about it, but um anyway the example that i'm that i wanted to point to was the fact that last year handmaid's tale did come out in april yeah it was kind of the big april release especially Mm -hmm. in terms of of emmy contention and um (laughs) i mean this year i feel like hulu's kind of big emmy push for for especially for a new series is going to be um catch 22 and catch 22 isn't dropping in april so that its six episodes can be spread all the way up until the may deadline and that they can get the most out of it they're releasing catch 22 all at once in the middle of may and that's kind of their power move and you, you we've seen that with some of the other shows as well like amazon is using uh is drop which usually which always drops its episodes all at once right is dropping fleabag uh at about the same time in the middle of may uh, which you know has a, a much greater profile now that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is doing well with with Killing Eve, um, but there's just been this slight shift toward later and later to try to make the most impression right before people are voting, so that those shows are very well, like very kind of prominent in people's minds. And again, I think that this is still the Game of Thrones effect because Game of Thrones doesn't have to worry about that. Game of Thrones is so prominent in all of our lives that no one's ever going to forget about it. It's the most popular show 
on TV and especially um, competing for for the Emmys this year. I mean, it's if I I just double checked this because I wasn't exactly sure when exactly uh, the the final season will end. It and the final episode is scheduled to air on May nineteenth, um, which yeah, like does basically mean that there's still like a chance for anything releasing like on May 31st which is going to be insane that day, I think we've already looked at that day and that day is um bonkers with uh publication dates with a uh, with a uh, premiere dates right but the 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 point of it is that they're just trying to avoid the main onslaught of game right. of thrones the idea that you know there's going to be so much coverage devoted to it Right before it comes out, we've already seen a number of publications, including our own, starting to release, you know, kind of bigger pieces about what Game of Thrones has meant, what it means, what to expect from the final season. It's starting to dominate the news cycle, and we're still two weeks away from its its premiere all week as you're listening to this. But right. anyway, um, so they're, they're trying to con- – it seems like they're trying to consciously avoid that as well as take advantage of the fact that uh, those, those later release dates might give them – the prominence and voters' minds to, to edge their way into the cycle. Um, so I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a full on Game of Thrones effect that's ruining <laughs> April for us. That's that's kind of uh, tainting a, um, the release calendar in a way where it's like, well, it's a little little lighter and you know, there's not quite as much to be excited about. But holy shit, is May going to be a month filled with? Because it'll be Game of Thrones on top of all these other things. Well, it'll be the end of Game of Thrones, yes. And then it will be a lot of things that are going to be released all at once. Uh, A lot of things that are going to be, you know, kind of shorter timelines, like not as many episodes that are released over the course of May, um, or enough of them released over the course of May to qualify. But um, it's interesting. It's just, it's one of those kind of weird things where it's almost like Game of Thrones can suck up all the oxygen in the room by itself, so you don't feel like you're in a lull. But then if you look at the calendar, if you're somebody who's like, well, I want to watch something else, you're not going to have as many options unless, unless you stick to HBO. Because, because HBO is releasing everything. <laughs> like They're releasing so much tied to this flagship to remind you of how many good, how much good content they have. Not only is Veep and Barry airing, uh, they've got the second season of Wyatt Snack, which is premiering this weekend. Uh, they've got Gentleman Jack, which has kind of been this very quiet little miniseries that people have talked about for a while. But have... Spoiler alert for my next thing I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, oh, great. It's, that, yeah, it's like... supposed to be. I mean, we've heard good things. Yeah. Um, and then right after, toward the end of uh, Game of Thrones, I think on that last day, I think on the last day of, like the last episode of Game of Thrones, they're launching Chernobyl. Right. Uh, which is their another you know miniseries that they want to do well at the Emmys this year. Um, so they're very much using that to their benefit, where they're like, if we've got people subscribed to HBO, if we've got people tuning in, we're going to give them as much as of our good stuff as we can to say, look at all of our great shows. Don't ever abandon us. We are HBO. We are good. Um, but it, they're, I mean, outside of the HBO bubble, it's a little lighter. Well, that uh, that reminds me. Um, I'm going to pull this up because I had. Uh, I got an email, like, you know, there we get we get lots of releases from various groups that claim to have data on various on various streaming services and it's sometimes suspect. But one thing, um <clears throat> one thing I got this I got uh, this one group uh did an analysis of HBO now in terms of its subscribership and it said that it got huge subscribership during Game of Thrones season six, like you would expect. And then uh and, and like apparently total HBO now HBO now members jumped by ninety one percent. Good lord, 
in the U.S. during season seven, but after the finale, total subscribers fell into a decline for six consecutive months. And I don't know what pulled that decline up, but the fact is, like, I definitely know people um, who, you know, they will subscribe for Game of Thrones and then because Game of Thrones is the perhaps the last show we all have to watch, the last water cooler show, which has a theory been floating around for a little while now in the Twitter in the Twitter thought sphere. Oh, there's been I mean, so many articles written about it. Yeah, I I personally think Sonia Sonia Soraya was the first one to really put that idea out there, and I I think she deserves more credit for that. Um, but that's just me. Anyways, point is is that you know. HBO, yeah, this is the time when HBO does have to prove, like, you shouldn't just watch, you shouldn't just pay us money for Game of Thrones. You should keep going. Like, we've got all this other stuff to watch. But they don't, like, like, beyond, once when they have, like, a really solid April and May plan. Do they have huge summer plans? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and this is the other thing about it. This whole release around Game of Thrones has been very well targeted to... Uh, alert people to the other shows that are coming. I mean, a lot of the the first footage came out in a in a a package of like this is what's coming out in 2019. Uh, they actually released a second video package of like this is what else is coming out in 2019 with more footage and more shows and more dates and more etc. But I mean, as you very well know, Liz, what starts in June? Big Little Lies. Oh, that's a good. <laughs> oh yeah, that that yeah, I was like. If only they had some sort of flagship series that had a, got a lot of attention when it first premiered returning for a second season. I cannot believe I blinked on that. No, it's well, this is the thing. Like, it's it's Game of Thrones sucks up so much oxygen in the room that most people don't look past it. And I think that the, that's very much true for the culture at large, especially in TV. But it's, it's also true for HBO in particular with what you're talking about with that subscriber drop-off. Like... They want to make sure that people are aware that when Game of Thrones ends, HBO isn't ending either. Like, they don't need to stop subscribing. They don't need to stop start tuning out and just go back to whatever's popping up on Netflix. They need to remind them, like, hey, 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 no, we're consistently developing this stuff. Like, there's consistently great shows on this network. And they're trying their damnedest to make sure that that continues. I mean, every piece of this timing is designed around extending beyond that Game of Thrones to avoid that drop-off and keep people... You know, I mean, off the top of my to head, watch HBO. I, off the top of my head, I can think of like two two shows that are probably coming out in the last half of the year that are going to be things I'm very excited well, are things I'm very excited about. But like uh, years after years, I think it's called. Uh, this is the new series from Russell T Davies, who wrote a very English scandal, um, and stars fucking Emma Thompson. Ben, if I get to talk to Emma Thompson at TCA's about this show. Um, I will ascend to a whole new plane of existence. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about that idea, Ben. I hope I hope it happens for you, Liz. I hope so too. Let's hope for good things for me, just this once. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, but there's... I mean, so sorry, but years after years, and then the other one I was just thinking of, uh, and both of these are British co-productions, but that's also always been a. Uh, a realm that HBO has had a lot of success with, but uh, they're they're also doing. Oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name of it. This is bad. His, His Dark, Dark materials, materials. Thank you. Um, which has a great cast, uh, uh, including, including Ruth Wilson and Lin Manuel uh, and James McAvoy and Lin Manuel Miranda. Don't know why I was having a hard time saying that last name. And yeah, so lots of cool stuff coming up uh, from HBO. So yeah, I mean, there's. I don't know why anybody's worried about the future of HBO when they've got. 
not one, but two shows coming from the creators, the co-creators of The Leftovers. Oh, like, yeah, that's right. There's also the, the there's Leftovers. also Watchmen and Mrs. Fletcher. Yeah, The Leftovers was obviously HBO's most important program Jar! ever. So Jar! the fact that they've got multiple projects spawning off of that one should give them quite a you know deal of comfort and security. So. Okay, yep, yep, yep. To the jar, to the jar you go. Um Anyways, yes. So, I mean, it, it, I mean, honestly, you could probably argue that you do not need to do the jar for that, but you, you're going to do the jar for that. Um, point is, yes, HBO is doing fine, and hopefully it does manage to go past it, but Game of Thrones is such an icon- iconic show at this stage of our existence. Like, our existence, like, not in the grand scheme of, you know, human existence, but in the grand scheme of co- pop culture over the next few months, it's going to be a kind of big deal. So... I think it's not incorrect to be wondering, like, especially because a lot of the things we're talking about are new shows that we we know to be excited about, but don't have like that immediate like hook of, you know, as much as I want to say that people get really excited for Emma Thompson shows to the point where they want to subscribe, pay ten ninety nine a month. Like, I want that to be true, I but mean, I it's fourteen, but yeah, for fourteen, but yeah, I mean, that's it's hard. It's hard for me to be sure. Well, let's let's go back a little bit and okay. look at the look at at this kind of general idea around Game of Thrones in terms of um, it kind of being in control and everybody else playing around it. Um, so, like this month, this month in April, yeah. um, the the most notable releases I saw on the calendar were uh, Warrior, which is a Cinemax series, right? <laughs> which Strike One. I mean, it's not 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 from a qualitative respect just from man it's like i don't know that many people who subscribe to cinemax i probably know more people who subscribe to stars than subscribe to cinemax and again i would i would also argue that this is a show that's got its own kind of time like because hbo and cinemax are connected this has its own ties to the game of thrones strategy of like listen if you like game of thrones and we're going to have some advertising surrounding game of thrones that connects to this other show maybe you'll tune into that find it whatever that's one. Um, Netflix is releasing Our Planet and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, today. Today as we're recording, which is well ahead of any sort of, you know, Game of Thrones problems in terms of people, you know, watching. There's going to be coverage issues, but because Our Planet is a nature docuseries, which, you know, is pretty much as far away from any overlap with Game of Thrones you can get, that stands on its own. Sabrina has already been out, so people are aware of it and they're looking forward to it, you would think. Um, similar, like there's a lot of those kind of season twos that are popping up. The Tick season two is hitting on Amazon, which again, it's like, well, just it's, it's supposedly a popular show according to past releases by Amazon, but we don't know how much, but it's a second season. Like people, it's got an established fan base. It doesn't have to do as much work. Right. Um, Cobra Kai season two on YouTube, same kind of deal that's happening a little bit later in the month. Um, the Sun on AMC. I don't know if anybody <laughs> fucking asked for the Sun season two, the, but the Sun season two, the the season released after the show was already canceled. Oh, the God. Sun is already canceled, but they're still releasing the second season. It's kind of stunning. Um, but to me, honestly, like those are all still somewhat kind of bubbly shows. Like in a normal month, they wouldn't be in the top tier of expectations. No. They would just be kind of like, okay, yeah, those are shows that are coming out. Well. And I mean, especially in comparison, like, I think, like, last year, last April, I think the big thing was we had both Handmaid's Tale and Westworld coming out. We had two really serious heavy players coming out in April, along with with stuff like Killing Eve and a lot of things that ended up becoming a big deal. Sorry. Right. And so 
to finish off 2019 really quick, sure. the, like the three core, and this is even stretching it a little bit, Killing Eve is the number one that's not a Game of Thrones show. Like right. that's, that's the most exciting thing. And that's getting out, again, well ahead of Game of Thrones, getting out. It's going to be running you know, squarely against it throughout the course of its run. But God bless it for doing Sundays. But it's also established such a fan base that people will continue to respond to it and it will continue to get coverage even in the wake of Game of Thrones. Um, the other one is FX Big Play is Fosse Verdon. Right. Which to me is almost more of like just kind of an awards play more than a, a ratings play. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I feel like there's there's something wrong happening with, with Fosse Verdon and it's a show I liked a lot when I reviewed it um, and I have to dig in with the new episodes that they've released. But yeah, something like, and I, I think it comes down to the fact that they, I mean, on a promotion level, they haven't made their talent really available. Like, like I sat, I spent time today on a conference call featuring Nicole Fossey, who is very tangentially involved with the actual creative making of the show, and uh, she is she is not the person you that should be representing the show. It should be like Thomas Kales and the, the other producers who, are, but they're not speaking out that often. Ben, you have a weird fa- look on your face. I mean, it's it's really cute and sweet of you to think that Thomas Kale is going to move the needle for Fosse Verdon, but, but I the, do understand what you're saying. But the, it's not that like, not that I think like he's the big name talent that we need to like that. He, it's not that like he's big name talent, but he can actually talk about making the damn show, and that's yeah. something that I think the show's been. I think that's something I've been struggling with in terms of figuring out how to cover it. It's like you know, I want to do stuff, but there's no one. It, it's not there's no Ryan Murphy really, and making himself available um anyways sorry i'm distracting from your point yeah well it's it's okay it's it's all of this ties into kind of just the general feelings surrounding these shows and why they're either kind of like oh i forgot that's happening but i'm excited or you're just kind of like meh or you know you just completely disagree with our assessment and are like fossey verdon is the most important thing to me in this year so who knows but um, I'd say Fawzi Vern's number two behind Killing Eve. And then number three to me is The Shy, which is coming back for its second season. But I would also contend that The Shy, while it had a good um, premiere uh, and it's had a couple of ads that I've seen pop up, a couple of good t- well-timed like gotten... trailer drops, I haven't seen a ton of advertising surrounding this show. And um, I feel I've... like I've seen more for, more for season two than I saw for season one. But... Oh, I completely disagree for, with that. I, I remember, I mean, season one, to me, got a, a, one of the better rollouts, and it, it performed okay. But I was hoping they'd kind of double down with this, and it, it it's felt very absent. I feel like Lena Waith is very much in the news and out there and, and uh, doing a lot of discussions, but she has so many projects at this point that... She's kind of her own entity. It's almost like it's not really a reminder that the shy is coming back whenever you see her on, you know, a stage in an award show or, or on the red carpet. But, um, but I mean, I think those are kind of the big ones. Hulu's also going to release Rami, which is a show I really, really liked. But, you know, that's so far off at this point. It's a few weeks out that, you know, it's, it's kind of self-perpetuating promotional machine hasn't kicked in yet. Um, and it'll be interesting when more critics kind of voice in and, and have their way because that's another thing that Fossey Verdon struggle with a little bit um you had one of the one of the top tier like raves about it but Variety Hollywood Reporter Vanity Fair all were kind of decidedly mixed um we've heard more mixed reactions from other critics we know and more very positive glowing reactions but it's one of those things where if you're going to be an awards play like that you kind of need a, a full-on critical push and 
if you don't get it, it could it could create some struggles. And you know how important those are, those reviews are to FX. They, you know, they, follow they, them they, very closely. They pay a little more attention. Uh, but all of this, I think, boils down to, I want to ask the question of, are they are we doing the right thing here? Like, what's the what's the just most basic thought process of okay, Game of Thrones is airing. It's going to take up a lot of you know publications times. It's going to take up a lot of the news cycle. It's going to take up um, a lot of you know space within the culture, a lot of conversational space. Uh, but it only takes up one hour a week, and people watch way more TV than that. So are are we a little overreacting? Perhaps is there room? Or is it one of those things where once you start watching Game of Thrones, that's the only thing you want to watch, so there's no reason to try to break in with a new show? I think honestly, are you saying are are you saying who is we in this in this scenario? Just viewers, viewers in general, just people. I mean, I think, I think it does come back to the fact that this is one of the few remaining shows that people really want to talk about and really have opinions about, want to discuss, and you know, I think. The fact that it is now a rarity, and the fact that nowadays the conversation around TV is much more, much more like when you we used to read books and be like, well, how far into that book are you? Like even like even like a show like Star Trek Discovery. I have a friend of mine who's been watching Star Trek, and I've been like, you know, it's like I have to basically every time we're talking about it, we have to be like, okay, so remind me how far you are, because even though that show's coming out weekly, uh, it's you know he's catching up, so he's it's. You know, it's it, the binge model means that no one is on the same page all the time for the most part, and that's. But wouldn't that just be more of a reason that they could release it during this time? That they could release a new show now because if everybody's watching shows at their own pace, as long as those show that show comes out and makes a dent with with the viewers who are still watching on their traditional method and with critics who are going to want to continue writing about it, then wouldn't it do just as well? I mean, potentially, and I do think that there are a couple of like Netflix series that we haven't talked about yet uh, that are that seem like they're in an interesting position to kind of you know swoop, swoop in under the radar. Um, there's this um, you know mystery series called Chambers, uh, uh, which stars uh, Tony Goldwyn and Uma Thurman, and you know that it's it's an interesting show. I'd can't remember if there's an embargo on it, and I've only seen one episode, but <clears throat> it's an inter- It's certainly going to be an interesting show, and it, it it could end up it could end up taking off. Um, there's uh, this show called The Society, which is also which is c- coming out in May, but that one like seems like that one has some interesting energy to it, and it could like it could get like especially like but the again, younger that's audiences. May. That's yeah, part of the whole like everybody's coming out in May. Like it's it's. It's in the landscape now of television when you're looking for any opportunity you've got for a lighter load to drop a show. Like people are, they dropped they dropped Angie Tribeca season three last year on like December 28th or something. Yeah, like it was just, like it was this weird little bubble where nobody could write about it because we were all on vacation or roaming around the country. Um, but the idea is that you're on vacation, maybe you'll be able to watch it. Like they're looking for any sliver of an opportunity to drop a show when there's less competition. And Game of Thrones kind of sucks away a lot of the competition. Like, it is the competition, but at the same time, maybe there's bubbles in there. Like, maybe, I mean, yeah. I'll be very curious once Game of Thrones starts how Killing Eve's ratings respond. And they're not going to be, it's not going to be, you know, on an equal playing field. But whether or not 
Killing Eve finally takes a drop because it's going up against Game of Thrones, or whether or not it just kind of holds steady because those fans know what they want and they'll wait on the other one. I think that's going to be kind of telling in terms of like what kind of availability is out there for for people to release stuff. That's a fair point. I mean, I feel like I I, I was wrong to bring up the society, but I do think there are other smaller Netflix shows that are coming out this month, are coming out in April that could could take advantage of it. Um, Rami's another one, also maybe um, that. But I think, but uh, but I'm reminded of like there. I feel like it happens a lot in the in in the box office race where there will be like two big movies coming out opposite each other and everyone's very worried about them cannibalizing mm-hmm. on a, cannibalizing their their opening weekend and instead it ends up like the shows do great um yeah well you see it go both ways and it's yeah. it's interesting I mean, the movies go both ways right well the yeah the results of the the box office go both ways yeah. but um it's a it's it's always kind of an interesting balance because you know there's the argument for counter programming which you know um, you can play into if you want. There's this there's the argument for similar programming where it's like hey they want this thing they got it they're gonna want more of it immediately can we give it to them? Um, and I think that those are alive and well. It's just it's interesting to me that um, that I don't see as much of it. I don't see as much people like leaning into the to the big pushes right now as they could it's just they're just kind of i agree like netflix is interesting just because they release so much stuff and they have such a wide reach in terms of their audience that they can drop a show uh, during april like against game of thrones and just you know kind of play it off like well we just got so much to get out there we're just going to put it out we're not we're not counting on this to do well and then if it does it's just kind of a bonus win for them um but I'd like to see more networks, I guess, or at least a couple who whoever is the most confident in their show. I don't I don't know if you need to be as afraid of the timing as some people are. I think it I think there's room for two Game of Thrones on the air at the same time. Um, this just this sounds a little bit to me like you're. I mean, are you just kind of annoyed that there's not enough new stuff for you to review this month? <sighs> God, not annoyed. That would, that would that, be masochistic, but maybe. I mean, I, maybe it's maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's just it's just all self therapy, and this is me processing. Hey, I don't really love Game of Thrones. It's not my favorite thing in the world, so I can't get excited about that. I wish there was something I could get excited about, and you know, like there is. There's stuff that I'm excited to highlight, and then at the same time, um, like I had a buddy text me this morning <laughs> and say, "Ben, how pissed off are you that you've got to spend the next." two months talking about Game of Thrones when Veep is airing its final season. And I was like, I am going to make sure people know that Veep is ending. I am not going to let, I'm going to be that annoying little thorn that pokes you every time. You're like, Game of Thrones is so good. I can't believe it's over. It's going to be so sad. I'm going to be like, yeah, but you know what's sadder? When Veep is over. If Veep is, that's going to crush you. So anyway. Does Veep's final episode correspond with the the final episode of Game of Thrones? Mm, That's a good question. I don't think so. Because it's only got seven episodes this season and it started Two weeks before, yeah. two or three weeks before Game of Thrones. I don't think they'd do that to Veep. They need it. They, it needs its own week. That's that'd be good. I'd prefer it end later than Game of Thrones, but that's fine. God. I get it. Yeah, I mean, you should make a big deal about watching Les Miserables on a PBS. I so. will not. That was a very strong reaction against Les Miserables. I like everybody in that cast. Dominic West is great. David yeah. Oyelowo is great. Uh, fuck, who's the third one? Lily Collins? 
Yes, Lily Collins is good. Um, Coleman. Wait, what? Olivia Coleman's in it. Olivia Coleman is in it? Yeah, they didn't have her at press day because she was a little busy uh, winning an Oscar, but, you know. Oh, maybe I will make a big deal about it then. Um, but I, I just didn't need to see another Les it, I They feel don't like sing it, this time. I feel like it just happened. Like, they don't sing this time. That makes it just worse. Like, I like Russell Crowe singing. I would watch it. I like Russell Crowe singing as easily one of the most controversial statements you've ever made on this podcast. I make a lot of them. I just spent the whole podcast talking about how I'm not that into Game of Thrones. I mean, that, I understand not being the Game of Thrones. I have a there's a there are quantifiable reasons why you should you not. You could tell Russell was so happy when he was doing it. Like you could tell he was kind of into it. And uh, his rapport with Hugh Jackman, I mean, in part because Hugh Jackman is just such an incredible actor, uh, was was great. They had a they they built up such a wonderful little rivalry in that movie. Uh, that you know you can't help but just be like two four six zero oh, one. Like you're excited. Like you get into it. It's fun. Did not expect this this line of conversation when we started talking about this, um, but I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's the thing is there is going to be stuff to watch. No, there's not. I mean, there is debatable. But also, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? I mean, the best thing I watched last week was Veep. It's always going to be Veep, but uh, I will say that that. Having watched it a while ago and then rewatched it this week, the Year of the Worst series finale is incredible. Um, I really love too that that certain people didn't like it, like they 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 weren't satisfied with it, or they didn't buy into kind of the theory that this couple had established for themselves at the end. Um, but they the way they talk about it was with kind of the level of respect that the show deserves because it it keeps trying to go there and the fact that it works for some people and doesn't for others just kind of speaks to the subjectivity of studying relationships um and i thought they've always done a brilliant job subverting romantic comedy tropes um and establishing their own little dark corner of the genre and uh, they carried that all the way through the end so uh yeah you're the worst family was was great if if you have a chance haven't haven't watched the show yet make sure you do um it's it's really something special. Yeah. Uh, off mic, I want to tell you my one problem with it. And it's not even a huge problem, but I, I don't want to spoil spoil it for people who That's haven't heard fair. it. And it would be a spoilery comment. Anyways. Well, what was the best thing you watched, Liz? Well, I did watch all this Tick. Um, I watched a lot of Tick over, the, over a couple of days uh, to prepare for an interview, which was a really fun interview, actually, with Ben Edlund. Uh, give that a read on IndieWire.com if you get a chance because it's not it's not at all really spoilery for the show and it's a lot of interesting talk about superheroes because the fun thing about Ben Edlund is he created the character of the Tick in 1986 which for comic book fans is a very seminal year it's a very important year in terms of talking about the way in which the comic book world looked at superheroes and started re-examining them which is something that we're seeing today in our modern in modern society but like on a whole other level because superheroes are everywhere so uh it's and it was really interesting to kind of talk to him about the way he's seen the conversation change and the way he's seen and where what he thinks superheroes represent today for people because it's a it's a lot of it's not as it's not as simple as wish fulfillment anymore. It's a very complicated question. Uh, so, anyways, the tick was really good. I also um, want to shout out this uh, show that's going to be premiering on Netflix in, I guess, a week. I guess it's next week. Uh, called Special. 
which is oh shoot, what's the guy's name? Do you remember the guy's name? It's like Daniel Montgomery or something. No, it isn't. It is uh, uh, Ryan O'Connell. Same. Same. Totally, totally yeah. comparative. Um, but this is a cute little series. Uh, it, it, it's very much from this uh, from this young creator's point of view. He is a uh, young gay man with cystic fibrosis, and so he has he is he talks a lot about how being gay and disabled is just the worst. Um, but he's it's very funny. It's very it's very good. It's good, very good natured. Uh, lots of interesting poppy characters, and this is my favorite part. Episodes are 15 minutes long. It is. I think it was originally developed. I think for one of Warner Brothers uh, digital initiatives, uh, and then Netflix picked it up. But I think it was developed for web series co- creation, and as a result, uh, it, was, it was kind of developed as a digital series. So I think they, that's why the episodes are 15 minutes. Point is, is that 15 minute episodes are great. It's just like you get in, you get out. On to the next one. It's really satisfying. I feel like I feel like more shows should look into fifteen minute episodes. I'm looking at you, Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't fight that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to watching it. It's, All right. uh, it's on the list. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Well, the next thing, um, next thing I'm looking forward to is is The Shy. I um, I've been catching up, or I've been revisiting, I should say, season one, and kind of working my way through. Season two, um, but they gave us a lot of episodes, so there's there's plenty left for me to do. But I I really you know I, I really obviously love Chicago and um, I love it never comes up it doesn't come up often enough. Those Cubs really gotta you know get it together soon. But um, I, I I think Lena Waithe has a great way of presenting these stories in both kind of just an engaging fashion as well as a, a very human character focused fashion. Um, it's a, it feels like a distinct drama, which is one of those nice things to notice these days. Like if it, if if it starts to feel like something that you've seen a million times before that can get frustrating, even if you respect a lot of the stuff that's going on. And, uh, I think again, this is something that's very easy to respect, but it's also very easy to, to kind of fall into and, and enjoy. So, um, I hope to continue enjoying it and I'm looking forward to watching more. Um, but, uh, Liz, before I kick it over to you, uh, since we already previewed your what you're looking forward to next a little bit, there is an actor named Daniel Montgomery oh. who's <laughs> done, like, done like bit parts on stuff in uh, Insecure and Jane the Virgin. So I don't, I've never, I don't recognize him whatsoever. But, but they, that didn't, didn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> I, th- I think it did, and this is a coincidence. But I'm gonna run with it and say somewhere in the back of my head, Daniel Montgomery stood out. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at. He was in an episode of Insecure. Maybe, yep, maybe that that link. Did you? I, I'm sorry. Did you mention Mom? No, I did not mention Mom. There we go. Uh, yeah, gosh. Uh, God, there's a well. There's an actor named Daniel Mays who's, uh, which is not Montgomery at all, but. We're just listing a bunch of dudes' names that kind of sound <laughs> similar. This is. I mean, of, 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 this is quality podcast content, but I consider yourself redeemed that there is a human being on this planet named Daniel Montgomery. <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> you uh, were worried. Liz, what are you looking forward to next about Gentleman Jack? I mean, Gentleman Jack just sounds really interesting. Uh, it, it's one of those, it's, it's the rare show where I'm really not familiar with any of the talent involved from any other previous project. Uh, it stars Saran Jones, I believe, and it's created by the same woman who did uh, a show called uh, Happy Valley, 
which I heard really good things about, but never got around to watching because I didn't really want to watch. It was like right, it was right smack dab in the era of dead child shows, and I was really tired of watching dead child murder shows. Um, <clears throat> sorry, Broadchurch. It took me a lot to. It took me. It took a lot for me to get through you. Maybe Olivia. Uh, but yeah, Olivia. Uh, putting Olivia Coleman and David Tennant in the show definitely helped me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, Anyways, uh, so, but it's basically about um, a woman in the six, in 1600s England or old-timey England, <laughs> going for extreme historical accuracy here, uh, but she basically wants to become a land, she's a, she's a land, the description I've been reading is she's a landowner who wants to become part of the nobility by marrying a woman. And so it seems like an interesting take on gay rights in an era when the concept of gay rights is a very foreign thing. And I'm very intrigued by that idea. Like, I think the, like, I, the idea of talking about, the, the idea of just kind of, you know, recognizing what gay rights were prior to, like, the prior to the 70s, prior, you know, centuries ago even, like, but is a really interesting topic. Actually, let me shout out also, um, well, Speaking of David Tennant, uh, David Tennant has oh, a podcast. Yeah. What? Yep. Are you? Why? Don't give me this. It's a very good podcast. Okay. No, it's David Tennant is actually a very natural interviewer, and he, especially when he's talking to basically one of his friends, in uh, the podcast is David Tennant talking to his friends and largely from pe- projects he's worked on. Uh, his first, the first episode was Olivia Coleman, um, which was great, uh, and. One episode uh, he did, he I just listened to, I finished listening to this morning was with Ian McKellen, and it's really like open conversation. Ian McKellen talking about like what it was like to come out, like how hard it was to be gay in the era when it was illegal to be gay in England, like that sort of thing. So if you have, if you do enjoy podcasts, I highly recommend David Tennant has a podcast with, uh, and does a po- David Tennant does a podcast with. Uh, and it, it, the lineup of guests is really great. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Jennifer Garner, John Hamm, uh, some other people coming up soon, I think. Uh, yeah, that concludes my shout out to that podcast. Uh, and you, we should write about that podcast on IndieWire.com, but we haven't yet. Uh, and in the meantime, you can, but you will find on IndieWire.com news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. Make sure to listen to Newwire's other podcasts, including. Screen Talk with Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson, the the one that started it all, as well as Chris O'Fault's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. And if you think that Chris O'Fault isn't the best host of a podcast in the world, as well as the best human being, then, I mean, welcome to the, the, the team wrong. <laughs> team wrong? Yeah. It's Friday. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. Better yet, you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet, that's with an I, and then an E. Yes, but if you go to Ben's Twitter, you get a lot more Veep gifts. That's true. I mean, not that I say, not that I'm immune to Veep gifts, but I do not, I do not prioritize them the way he does. They're very, they, they're very funny. You should just do a Veep gift, a Veep gift every day until the show's over. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Um. Anyways, it was. But go to our Twitters, and thank you for listening. Uh, We will be back next week, and in the meantime, it'd be great if you keep watching television. And not just Game of Thrones. And not just Game of Thrones. (laughs) 